Good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. It's great to be gathered to you, even in this way, to hear God's word. For those who don't know me, my name is Adam Richards and I'll be finishing off this series in Revelation uh, that we've been looking at for the last month and a bit. So let us pray and then we'll begin. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word this morning. We pray as your people that as we hear your word spoken, that by your power, through your efforts, you'll conform our hearts and our minds to know Jesus Christ. Help us to long for his coming kingdom, that we might be with him forever and ever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been several points in my life where I've been caught up or been caught upon the unexpectedly beautiful. What I mean by this is that as I've been going on in life, I've seen these points in my life where something unexpectedly beautiful has captured my heart and my soul for that time. And there are several parts, and I'm going to go through a few of those, that I've really, wow, that was an amazing moment and I wish I could go back there. The first one was the day of my wedding. My wife was unexpectedly beautiful. I say that now because even as I speak and we'll be watching this together, she'll be looking at me and saying, well done. And so I have fulfilled all righteousness. All jokes aside, and it was a beautiful day with my wife, it wasn't unexpectedly, and she was unexpectedly beautiful. The second one was when I went and saw the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon was an amazing sight. The canyon with the vistas of the water below, the great Colorado River and the blue sky holding above. It really captured my attention the day I saw it. It was unexpectedly beautiful. It was a vision that was seared into my mind that I would like to go back and see the Grand Canyon one day. It was just that beautiful. And we were there for such a period of time that we got to see the sunset happen. It was so magnificent. It was unexpectedly beautiful. Another was when I was in Italy. I saw the Statue of David done by Leonardo da Vinci and the Sistine Chapel. When I saw those pieces of art, they struck me to my core. I was unprepared for the skill, the grace and just the sheer beauty of those pieces of art. I stood there and looked at the Statue of David for half an hour. It was captivating. I couldn't believe the skill involved in shaping this statue. And then when I saw the Sistine Chapel in Rome and I looked up and I saw the artwork and I saw what Michelangelo had done, I was amazed. It was beautiful. I just stood in that room and I was in awe of the beauty. I could have stood there for hours. It was unexpectedly beautiful and I longed to stay there even longer. The fourth time, and this was an unexpected shock to me at the time, was the birth of my first son, Ben. When Ben was born, I was completely unprepared for how beautiful a moment it was as I held my son 
in my arms for the very first time. I cried. It was an unexpectedly beautiful moment. I remember going out and saying to my parents and saying, I have a son. His name is Ben because we'd kept the name hidden at that time. And I was just tears in my eye and it was a moment of beauty. It was a moment of joy. As I reflect back on all those various moments in my life and think about how good they were, I think, wow, I'd like to capture those moments forever in my heart. I'd like to go and experience those things again. I can't go back and see my child being born, but I can go back and see those vistas. But the important thing as we look at this passage is that we will see something that is more beautiful, that is more unexpected. As we look at Revelation 21 and 22, we see God's great vision for humanity. We see the beauty, the sheer magnificence, the opulence of what he is doing. And he calls on our heart to long for him. See, as we've been looking at Revelation and seeing what God has been doing, as we look at the world and we see all the judgments poured out upon the world through these passage, passages we've been looking at, what God has been calling on us to do is to long for him, long for his creation, long for what he is doing. Joe started off this series and he started off by dealing with the seven churches and we saw the seven churches and they were warned, make sure that you hold firm, make sure you get rid of the corruption in the world. And then we move through the judgments of God encapsulated in the seven seals, then the seven trumpets and then the seven bowls. And each of those was reminding us that God is cleansing the world, that God is judging the world for its sinfulness and rebellion against him. And as we looked at those, they hoped and the goal was that we would look beyond those, look beyond to see what God is doing, look beyond for the new creation. And then Dave finished off looking at the book and we saw those three great promises, those three great reminders that Jesus wins that Satan loses and with the loss of Satan, the corruption will be washed away and that now the books are open. Given that's what God is doing, we turn to Revelation 21 and 22 and we see the new creation come about. We see the new heavens and the new earth being made and it starts in Revelation 21. And I'm just going to read from verse 22. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Weddings are a great analogy. They're an analogy of God's relationship with his people. They tell of how God will join with his people of that great on the great day. I love doing weddings. I really enjoy 
marrying couples. It's one of the great privileges of the job that I do. The most exciting part and the part I enjoy most is that moment just before the bride walks in. Because what will generally happen is either the back doors will open or from the back of the church, the bride will come in. And at that moment, every eye turns to the bride. Every eye looks at her. And you see the bride, she's smiling, she's beautiful, she's adorned. And then she starts to walk up the aisle. And as you watch her, her eyes are focused. They're laser focused upon her groom. Everyone's smiling. It is a beautiful picture. That's the picture that God has here in Revelation. It is of a wedding, of a beautiful bride, the church adorned, dawned in white, which symbolizes her purity and her victory, and her eyes are on her groom, are on Jesus. That is the day we need to be looking forward to, the day where God is joined with his people forever. It is an exciting day for Christians. That's what weddings are about. They're about all of people looking around and being excited about this bride and this groom. Weddings are about a society. Weddings are about all the hosts looking on and being excited that this wedding day has finally come. And that's the day where the church is united with its groom, with Jesus, is the day we should be longing for. It's the day we should be excited about. And as all the heavenly hosts look on and see this wedding, it all happens for the glory of God. And this day is pictured as well with a second analogy where it is the new Jerusalem, the new city, the new creation that is coming down. We are pictured, the bride is pictured as a city. This is the three, or we're going to look at the three things about this bride which tell us how exciting is this day. And the first one is, as we look at the New Jerusalem, is that it is a city and it's not a garden. As we look at the new creation and the picture we have of the new creation before us, what we see is it's alluding back to Genesis and it's alluding back to what happened in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. In Genesis 1 through 3, God created man and he created man in his own image, in his own likeness. But man rebelled. He rejected a God and he rejected the place of God, which was the garden. God had given man this beautiful garden to care for, to extend, to build, to live in and to be in God's presence forever. But man rebelled against God and rejected him. And then he left the garden. He was thrown out of the garden and the first thing he built when he left the garden or one of the first things he built was a city. 
And we read in Genesis 11 that man builds a city so as to make a name for himself. Having rejected God's name for him, he's decided to make a name for himself. So, man, rebellion against God, makes a city and rejects the garden. Why is this important? Because God doesn't just turn aside man's plans and man's ideas. Instead, he incorporates them into his own. He builds a city. And this city is far better, far greater, far more opulent, far more powerful, far more secure than any city that man will will build or can build. The city is enormous. The city is, and it's pictured here, is 2,000 square metres by 2,000 metres. It is an enormous city. Hopefully Dave will be able to put up on the screen and it should be appearing now. I took an image and showed you the size of this city when compared to the map of Australia. It is enormous and it's just one city. And the point is that this city cannot be built by man. This city is beyond man's architecture, beyond man's design. This city is opulent. It dwarfs the city built by man in Babel. See, man built a tower in his city, barely reaches the heavens. He thought his city built in Babel would make him secure, would make him powerful, would make a name for himself. But it's a tiny city. It's made of dirt, fired with clay. It's showing his technical ability, which is not that much. As you look at the cities of the world, and especially cities at this time, cities aren't grand, cities aren't great. We always think, oh, cities are the place of technology and the place of culture. But as we go through this COVID-19, what are cities now about? Cities are places of disease. They're dens of corruption, dens of wickedness, dens of deceit, dens of death. Throughout the ages, every time there's a plague, even now in New York City, what have the rich and the wealthy done? They've got in their helicopters and flown to Florida. What did they do when there were plagues in the old days? They got in their stagecoaches and drove out to the country. Man's cities are not that grand. Man's cities don't provide security. Man's cities, when the pressure is on, are full of wickedness and deceit. But not so this city. God's city is powerful. God's city is opulent. If you have a look at the description, I don't have time to go through all the descriptions. You see the wealth, its security. This is a city that will last forever and nothing will prevail against it. The second aspect of this city, God's city has no temple. And the reason it has no temple 
is because God will now dwell with his people. The city itself is the temple. The city itself is God's dwelling. You'll look in the description. You'll see in the description, it's not just length and breadth. It's also height. It's 2,000 kilometres long by 2,000 kilometres wide by 2,000 kilometres high. It's a cube. But you go, a city that's a cube? What's the point? This is an allusion back to the temple. Why? Because the temple was a cube shape. What Revelation is trying to show us is the city itself has become the dwelling place of God. The city itself contains the glory of God. God's people gather together in this city to be with their God. People always talk about heaven and I've heard this so many times. When I'm in heaven, I'll get to do this or they picture heaven as the greatest dwelling or the greatest place to live. But I always say to people, I don't care about heaven. What I care about is that I am with God. That is the exciting thing for Christians. It is that we will live and dwell with our God, our Creator, forever and ever. That is the good news of the passage. That is what the passage wants us to long for. Not the opulence and the wealth of the city. They're bonuses. They're good things, no doubt. But the true joy, the true, great, awesome thing that God is working towards is to unite himself and his people forever. What I love about church, what I miss about church at the moment, is that I'm preaching to a camera. Dave's down on the right looking at his screen, taking a beautiful picture of me at this moment. And that is it. Where are the people? Where are the relationships? It is good that we gather together this way. It is good that we hear the word of God. But I long to see you. I long to be with you. I long to share fellowship and relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. If that is how I feel about you, and I do feel that, how much more do I want to relate rightly and be in the presence and dwelling of our Creator? That's where my heart is. That's what I truly long for. The third aspect of this city, the people now have access to the tree of life. I'm going to read from the scriptures, Revelation 22, 1-2. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. 
Here is a clear allusion back to Genesis. Here we see the tree of life from which man was barred from the beginning because of his rebellion. He now has full access. And notice, notice it's not just one tree. There's this tree of life, it's everywhere. And down the main street, down the main thoroughfare is this river, this water of life. The description of the city that we're given. The description here is a city full of life. It's exciting to think that the death that is and the decay that is so much a part of our world will be wiped away, that it will be gone, that this endless abundant life will flow out from the throne of God which I take to be the spirit in this case. And this, the trees which we were barred from, which Adam was totally separated from, we now have open access to. It is life in abundance. See, man in his rebellion, when he left and was thrown out of the garden, moved to the east. He was chasing after the light of the sun. He was removed from the garden and had to work the dirt, the soil, to produce a meagre existence. And he was outside the presence of God. In the new creation, in the creation that God is working to bring, we have life in abundance. We have a city that is beautiful, powerful, opulent. But most importantly, we are with our God and our Creator. We live in His presence. We will dwell with Him forever and ever. That is where our hearts need to be. That is what we need to be longing for. See, as we go through this COVID-19 crisis, my question for you today is, what are you longing for? What are you hoping for? Yes, we're all hoping this will end. I know I do. I know my wife does. I know my kids do. But even at this time, is our hope and longing for the new creation? In some ways, it's easier to long for the new creation. Some days, it's harder because I think, God, why are you doing this to us? But then I turn to Revelation and I say, oh, this reminds me. The world is wicked. The world is corrupt. The world is full of decay. The world is full of death. This creation, this new city, that God is building, where God is the architect. That is what I long for. That is what we need to hope for. Which leads to the epilogue of this book, which leads to the end of this series. The epilogue of Revelation really deals with what are the main issues? How should we respond to what God has been saying to us 
throughout this series. And there are two aspects that John points out that really force Christians to realise what this book is about. The first is worship God only. He says, I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant of you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Worship God. That is the first point. That has been the point throughout Revelation. The reason the world is in the mess that it is, the reason the world is in the decay, is in under the bondage that it is under, is it has chosen not to worship God. It has chosen to reject God, to rebel against him. But as Christians, we know that we have been called for worship. We know we have been called to live to the praise and glory of our Creator. In fact, as you look through Revelation 21 and 22, you see all the nations will now bring their glory towards God. That is why we exist, for the worship of God. I've heard it said about church. We do not go to church to worship, though we do worship at church. And the point is simply this. Do we worship God at church? Well, of course we worship God when we gather together. But do we worship God when we leave the church? Yes. Do we worship God when we drive our cars? Yes. Do we worship God down at the supermarket when we're standing in the checkout? Yes. Do we worship God as we listen to the government give us decrees about what we should do? Yes. Worship is obeying our Creator and living and serving Him and Him only. We want to show the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour. We want people to understand the great forgiveness that God has given us in our Lord and Saviour. As I was doing my morning Bible reading this morning, I was reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and it said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. As God's people, we are new people. We are part of the new creation, meant for the worship of our Creator. Is that what we hope to do? Is that what we long to do? Live for his praise? Live for his glory? As we're cooped up in our houses, many of us will be thinking, oh, I just long to go outside. I long to catch up with people. They're good things, no doubt. But do you have the same longing to worship God? Do you have the same hope to see God praised and glorified? How would you know? Well, we see that in the second part. 
and it is this. Those who long for God have a simple phrase upon their lips and it is simply this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus is coming soon. He has promised that. He has promised that he will return. He has promised that when he returns, he will make everything new. This whole series in Revelation has been dealing with a word that we haven't used and we haven't used it because it's an academic word. And the word is called eschatology. And what eschatology talks about are the end times, the ending things. But in reality, what Revelation is dealing about, what it is really asking us and questioning us about us all is this. What do you long for? Where is your hope? The words, come Lord Jesus, come, are a longing of the heart. They're a longing to be out of this world. They're a longing to say, no, this world is not enough. The only thing that can truly satisfy, the only thing that can truly bring us joy and happiness is our Creator, is our God. As we've looked at the series, as we've thought about all the different images and there'll be questions and there's been issues. What is this image? What are we talking about? A dragon? What's this scarlet woman and this harlot? All those images should point us to this one simple idea. Are we longing for God? As we come to the end of the series and as we think about what we've heard, what has been spoken about, my one question to you is simply this. Are you longing for an end of this world and the bringing in of the one to come? Are you longing for Jesus? If that is what you are doing, then you will say the same words. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for this reminder that we need to be people who are longing for Jesus. We pray, Father, especially at this time as we deal with the COVID-19 crisis, that we will long for Christ. May we be people who are patient, gentle, loving, gracious as we glorify God and as we sing, come Lord Jesus, come. We ask this in his name. Amen.